It is December 21st, 2023. Welcome to episode 303 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from Toronto, from Canada. Salam to I hope you are doing well wherever you are tuning in from around the world in this holiday period. Happy Christmas to you. Uh, we've got a very special guest for a very special full 90 minutes on this edition of Rook. You know, uh, when it comes to Iranian arts and culture, we definitely have our icons, the kinds of names that transcend age or gender or geography or occupation when it comes to Iranians all over the world, and especially when it comes to Persian music. You'd be hard-pressed to find an Iranian who, say, is not familiar with Gugush or Abi or Shahram Shahpareh or Mansur or Black Cats. But beneath each success story or iconic artist, there are those that play a role in creating the content and the conditions for the art of those masters to be heard. In some cases, it's those that are not necessarily the household names that might be the most responsible for the compositions or arrangements or melodies or production qualities that create the timeless art that we attribute to those icons. Today's guest is someone who while not unknown himself, given his high-profile work in groups such as Black Cats and his tireless schedule as a live performer around the world, is one of those incredible pillars of artistic power that can be deemed to be responsible for a lot of the best of Persian pop music we've heard in recent decades. Schubert Avakian is my guest today, a man with a remarkable resume and a remarkable per personal story to boot. He is talented, he's engaging, and an outstanding constant on the Persian music scene for many years, despite his own relative youth. If you know many of the big songs of Persian musical icons, you know Schubert. He will join me for what promises to be an animated and vibrant chat. He's quite a cat. All right. Good to have you with us. This is episode 303. Let's get started. This is Rook. beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. Actually, it's not really feeling like Christmas. It's warm and sunny <laughs> in Toronto right now. Santa may have to wear an undershirt, a t-shirt this year at this rate. But happy Christmas to you. Happy Yalda. Happy Hanukkah. Happy whatever holiday you do or do not celebrate. Good to have you with us today. A feature 90 minutes with Schubert of Akion. He joins me from Los Angeles in a few moments. I should note that we're not going to have a round table today. Smart Pega is off this week and has very sadly had a loss in her family. Her dear granddad has passed away. And so we are sending love and warm wishes and condolences and sympathies to Pega and her family. We will be back with a brand new episode and a new round table on January 4th, 2024. 2024, get your head around that. That's actually just a few days away. January 4th is our first show back in the new year with a roundtable. In the meantime, we've got this brand new show today. And next week, something special. We've prepared a, a re-edited and remastered edition of our series, Why Pink Floyd? Now, this is our exploration of how and why Iranians developed a disproportionate obsession and love for the British rock band Pink Floyd. It's a four-part four part series. We, we've re-edited it. We're going to post it starting on Christmas Day. That's next Monday. And then every day for four days across our podcast platforms and YouTube. You don't want to miss it if you did the first time. Uh, that series features the likes of Ramin Sadiqi, Arash Sobhani, Ali Azimi, Dara Darayi, uh, Anush Sabuktakin, uh, Loga Torkian, Arash Mitui, Siamak Shirazi, Amir Bahari, Roya Arab, um, Sanasutudeh, Maral Mohammadi, and etc., etc., etc. It's a great, a great group of people, and a really interesting meditation on how Pink Floyd 
became this obsession for Iranians. Why not the Stones or the Beatles or the Who or Zeppelin or, I don't know, you too. We get to that next week. We are coming to you on rookmedia.com. Instead, you can link to all of our platforms. We're on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox. If you like to see visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube uh, at uh, Rook Media. And if you like your descriptions of bulletins in English and in Farsi and in Persian, you can uh, subscribe to us on Telegram. Remember to get... Um, to, to, to support us and get on to being a Rook member on our Patreon page, just go to that website, rookmedia.com, that has all of our back episodes and our videos and all of our content is there. Go to rookmedia.com. Right there on the front page, you'll see a support us button. Press that. It's Christmas time. You can support Rook this year for a few bucks a month. We really appreciate it. We crowdsource. That's how we stay alive. Thank you to our members who have been part of this uh, all year. And we're looking, we're looking forward to 2024. All right. In the meantime, before we get there, let's get to our feature guest. And my feature guest today is an Iranian-born Armenian-American musician, a producer, a music arranger. He's based in Los Angeles and renowned for his exceptional contributions to Persian pop music. In fact, I would make the argument if there is a positive constant or spine running down the back of Persian pop music at its best for the past four decades or more, this man is part of that spine. Who is he? Take a listen to this. آتش به وزین به نسیم دریا قزل برقصیم آتلوق فردا اینجا بمونم واسه چی عشق و بیارم واسه کی رویای تو جای دیگه است برو سراغ زندگی There you go. In order, you just heard Abby, Sepide, Shahram Shapare, and Black Cats, Black Cats and Kamiar, all hit songs and all music that involved composition and or arrangement by our feature guest today, Schubert Avakian. Schubert was born and raised in Tehran in the late 1960s. He cultivated his musical talent from a young age, focusing on the piano. By the age of 15, he was already playing in a band, and at 18, Schubert got his unexpected big break by spontaneously being recruited to perform at one of Vigen's concerts in Germany. Schubert's musical adventure then led him from Germany to the United States, where he joined the popular Persian group Black Cats, actively engaging in songwriting and music arrangement. From there, he has been omnipresent and, you might say, unstoppable. Schubert Avakian's notable collaborations include working with iconic Persian pop musicians such as Ebi and Gugush, Vigen, Shahram Shapareh, Hassan Shamaizadeh, Habib, Leila Foruhar, Andy, Mansour, 25 Band, and Sepideh. He is the CEO and owner of Ashnik Music Incorporated. And right now, it's a great pleasure to have Schubert Avakian join me from Los Angeles today. Hello, sir. Hi, Jianjian. Thank you very much for the great introduction. Um, um, this is my first interview that the uh, the person interviewing me actually knows this much about my uh, bio. And thank you for respecting our time and thank you for respecting your guests because as, at all the interviews that I've watched uh, prior to our interview today, 
you have done the same for every uh, guest you had, which is very, very uh, refreshing to see in, in our society. That's so Thank kind. That's so kind of you to say, and it really is an honor to get to speak to you and and delving into your story, which I will hopefully have a chance to do some of over this uh, this next uh, forty five minutes an hour. Uh, is it, it really is remarkable? I mean, you've you've joked about being a hundred years old, given how much you've done, uh, how many artists you've worked with, how prolific you are. Most people go through life, Schubert, it occurs to me, specifically later in life, feeling that they are younger than their actual age. Do you feel both younger and older than you really are based on all your experience? I, I would say, again, like you said, I feel younger because sometimes uh, the ideas that it comes to my mind, I notice that these are too young of an idea for my age. So I stop myself right there. So I would say I do feel younger due to maybe the love of music or the passion that I have for my work, but uh, never felt uh, younger out of uh, out of the chart like some people they they think just because they can do something it's appropriate to do it no i try to balance everything uh, you know as best as possible as i can but yeah i do feel i'm i'm 54 or um in july i'm becoming 55 so i'm born in july 17 1968 to be exact. Yeah, you're already 55. But but uh, it, it doesn't, I mean, first of all, you don't look old. And second of all, <laughs> you don't seem old. But at the same time, your experience, I'm going to ask you to be, I'm going to ask you to be immodest. No Persian taught off. I, I talked about you being a spine of Persian popular music over the last four decades. You are a, a constant and perhaps a reassuring presence as a composer, a performer, an arranger, a producer, and a surprisingly... Um, omnipresent one, Schubert. There's a 1980s Woody Allen film called Zelig. It's a, a fictional documentary whereby this man, Zelig, ends up being at all these major events in history. If you look closely enough at the photos and videos, he's there. And I feel like you're like a Persian Zelig of music. Does that, <laughs> does that metaphor of being a spine of Persian popular music in recent decades work for you? I mean, uh, I'm proud and I cannot say, again, Tarof aside, because we usually have that Tarof to be modest, but uh, I have been uh, very heavily involved and committed to Persian industry and Persian music, as you said, since uh, I was 18. I mean, I would never imagine I would get to this point or to this level of uh, activity with the celebrities that I used to watch on Rangarang TV when I was a kid at uncle's house. And it's in the background. I see Gugush, I see Leila Furuar, younger, younger age. They were singing and performing. I noticed my passion right there and then, but never ever in my wildest dream I would imagine that these people are gonna be my closest friends and I'm gonna travel with them for months and I'm, they're gonna come to my studio every week. And it, it is, I'm very grateful, super grateful for this. I mean, given how prolific you are, um, I figure it's one of two things. I was thinking about you this morning and thinking either you, you just happen to have worked with a lot of people because you're talented and uh, over a series of decades. And so looking back now all at once, it looks like a lot or you are a real workaholic. Which which one of those interpretations are true, or perhaps are you both? Um, I cannot be saying I'm the best. That's hundred percent definite. Because right now that we're talking, we have many many more talented people who are not uh, one tenth busy as I am. So it is not because I'm the best. I don't believe in the second portion of your example either. That you said maybe because I'm workaholic, because I, again, know a lot of colleagues who are more workaholic and they want to be busy, but they don't get as many requests of collaboration or job. The only reason that after years of thinking, uh, besides the whole 
idea of thinking that I'm blessed and I'm grateful and God, uh, you know, helped me more. But it's kind of selfish when you say God loved me or helped me more because then automatically I'm saying I'm a better person in his eyes. You know what I mean? Uh, but the only reason that I see I stayed current and I stayed or I stayed busy because I was always trying to serve the purpose. Mm. What I'm what I'm missing in the industry right now and easily I can find 10 names, which I'm not going to name, obviously, mm -hmm. that they're fantastic producers, fantastic, capable musicians, but they want to show their talent in oh. the music versus serving the purpose. I tried to serve the purpose, whether I was 18, giving a song, uh, 20, giving a song to Andy or starting with Leila Furhar. I would always imagine that I'm helping this artist to succeed more uh -huh. to go one step above where he is or uh, improve with my song not because uh, i have this chance let me show how good of a, a keyboard i play mm -hmm. or what beautiful mm -hmm. sounds i have or how fast i can play a melody which i see this uh, repeatedly in my fellow friends that they show their speed, they show oh, their right. knowledge of jazz chords or right. positions that they can, which is completely irrelevant for the lyrics that the uh, singer is singing. Is is part so, of what you're is part of what you're saying that over the years, artists have been attracted to you. I mean, at this point, quite frankly, your resume would sell your would sell itself, you know. So, but but are, is what you're saying that artists have been attracted to you because they have known, either intrinsically or they have learned that it's not going to be about Schubert being at the center of of the music, but about enabling whatever you see in them? Yes, 100%. I totally, totally refused so many songs that they already brought, which was a good amount of business for me. And I refused maybe five of them and took only two. This happened when uh, Omid brought a song called Tomashari. This song was along with four other good songs, but not hits. They were good songs, but not hits. There are songs that is good to me and you or artists or uh, people who are in the industry a little more, and uh, it, it triggers them, but not good for Omid going on stage and uh, getting this beautiful re uh, reaction from the crowd. So you have to know your society. You have to, I'm, I'm trying to, the best to know my society, know the listeners. Gian, uh, you might not believe it. I follow Masalan Persian uh, soaps. I watch Persian soap opera of Iran. I watch comedies just to learn the current Farsi language of how they they're wording stuff, and because it's totally different from my uh, era of Iran uh, Farsi. The Farsi has changed. The dialogue has changed. So. You have to constantly keep yourself current. It's it's not about only making a groove or arranging something. You have to serve the purpose. I believe, yes, 100% singers have noticed that I put uh, all my effort to get success with whatever step I'm taking with every singer for every project. <laughs> اگر گوشم نه قصه برف و شراره قصه دشنه و مرهم قصه من قصه تو قصه تلخ دوباره قصه پلنگ آشه قصه سید ستاره by the way, as a sidebar, you uh, watching um, TV shows and, and, and listening to what's going on, etc., is a consistent in your life because I, I think I remember that when you were uh, when you were a kid uh, with the melodica, the first time you were you learned how, uh, melody and, and how to replay stuff was by listening to a serial, watching something on TV that you would wait for it to come on so that you could yeah. kind of mimic the the the, the theme or the, the melody. Cool. 
Um, yeah. But on this producer question, and I don't want to get too too um, as as they would say inside baseball, like you two two musical people talking to each other. But but it is curious to me because. I think the producers who shall remain unnamed that you that you were talking about, what they would argue perhaps is the whole point of coming to them as a producer is for them to put their imprint onto the sound recordings, i.e. you come to, I mean, let's not use Persians as an example. You go to Timbaland or you go to uh, a certain type of Dr. Dre or you go to Quincy Jones because you're going to get that treatment and that's what people are coming for. And that obviously does involve some ego on the part of the producer saying, well, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to give you. Um, but it, it is somewhat selfless. And are you selling your self-short by not doing the Schubert treatment on whoever comes to you? Fantastic question. Uh, let me start by saying the tattoo that I have on my arm is in Khatemichi saying balance, which I believe a lot in. And this one is karma, which I believe a, lo a lot in these two words that I tattooed. Mm. For me, there is a balance. Yes, 100% agreed, every producer has a signature, has his own touch or her own touch to put on a song or in his creation. But again, we have to balance it. When when Ebi came to me for the first song, it was in Germany, we were at a bar after a show and Ebi came, we started talking, say hi, having a beer, this and that. And then he said, I have a lyrics from uh, Mr. Janet Yatai, and that's Parvani Darmusht, which is a very deep lyrics. So we started with that song. He said, I had a lot of uh, composers trying, but it didn't pull my trigger. It was beautiful, but I want you to try it too. Maybe this will be a start. I go, I'm honored. We started with this song. As we started going to the second, third, which became an album later, Hasrat Parvaz, as we started going forward, I had to tell Abijan that, Abijan, I have to put my signature. I have to create my work. You have done so many beautiful songs with Meishi, with Farid Zoland, with Andranik, and all these legends. I'm never going to be compete, uh, competing with them or even can compete with them. Mm. But if you let me to be myself and you by being the icon singer that I always loved, please come. Please come, come to, come to my uh, visualization of what Ebi could do. Okay. That's how we started doing Harir Sabs and that salsa groove of Sedam Kardi, and then even even lyrics or lyricists came uh, to this project that Ebi would never work with them. To be very honest with you. Besides Janati or Khalmezo, Yazakaryan, which are legends, the other younger writers would never get a chance to get their lyrics. So Evijan has that courage to give young uh, producers or younger producers than himself to put their signature. And I did put my signature. I even got a lot of uh, bad comments and emails saying, oh, who are you writing for Ebi? Just Boroshi Shohashteto Benevis, you or you, you should just make Bandari songs and this and that. They said whatever they could. The same people became fans of the two albums I did for Ebi later on. Same people noticed that I started something fresh for an icon. Yes, he had beautiful songs from Babak Bayot and all these writers I mentioned. But also for an artist, there was a room to, you know, go a little bit different route, but still in his direction. تو چیزی گفتی و شب جای من شد من از دور و قسل زیبا شدم باز تو گیج و ویج از خود گم شدن من از من مردم و پیدا شدم باز من از من مردم و پیدا شدم باز I didn't change Ebi's style 
but I created a new direction in mm. his style. So this is where the balance comes in. If that balance, you cross the balance, it becomes one of those wannabe projects that I keep hearing on Radio Java. <laughs> a Persian singer who is capable of singing, he has a good message, but they want to be black artist who I, I don't see the I don't see the necessity of it. Mm. Why don't you do the Persian version of your hip hop and just be happy with it, be proud with it, or do your groove and say the same words while you're trying to be Eminem or you're trying to be someone else. They never try to be Middle Eastern. You go to an American, right, they right, never try to right. be an Arab singer or sometimes, uh, sometimes unsuccessfully. But yeah, but no, yeah, yeah. Sometimes but, but 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 you know, I saw you last month performing with Twenty Five Band, and I know you've worked with them. So as as by way of example, because they're obviously more, perhaps um, I don't know, obtuse an example than someone like Ebby. What what did you see in them, or when you first when they first come to you? What I mean, besides the fact that they're nice people, et cetera, but what yeah. is it musically that you go, oh, this is how I can help this group? Uh, I'll be very honest with you again. I never connected with their music prior to our meeting. So when we started meeting, I, I had to learn the songs and I had I respected them for being very modern and avant-garde type of an artist, which I always loved. Seppi Day is an avant-garde female singer. I like people who uh, dare to be different, dare to uh, have different attire on stage, and even 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 the speaking, the the whole message they're giving. I like them to be a little bit daring, not to follow what's common in the industry. So they attracted me by that. But then when I started listening to their music in a very uh, interesting way, I started loving their music. <laughs> Believe it or not, it was to me the 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 simplicity in their comp composition and being very minimal in their arrangement mm -hmm. also taught me a lesson that again Schubert if you're talking about balance maybe the balance has changed today maybe it's not about uh, andronic style piano and string lines and horn section harmonized chords and this and that maybe you should take it easy now start to be more current musically and start being minimal so that's what i learned from 25 bands so it's always learning process yes i, I love the music i'm just thinking about who you wouldn't work with because i know you have a you obviously you have your standards of who you know you're not just going to work with anybody and i've heard you say that people sometimes come at audition for you i didn't quite understand the in the in the case of omid that you were talking about a moment ago you passed because you didn't feel the songs worked for you. Um, so, so in some cases, would you say no to an artist if you don't if you don't like the songs, or is it that there's somebody if 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 the artist isn't just the vibe isn't there for you, or the talent isn't there, or something that you'll gently or kindly say no, I I don't have the time for this. I, I would say the song not working for them. I don't want to be a partner in a sinking ship. In other words. So if if I see that the song doesn't work for the artist and get I get involved, then I'm only doing this for money, which is against my policy. And then if that song does not make it, which 99% I know is not going to make it, then my name is on it. Hmm. Then automatically, unfortunately, uh, music or art industry is very, uh, very bira. It's like very... Uh, I don't know how, how to say it, like has no mercy. Yeah. You do 20 good songs and you do one bad song, it washes the 20 away. <laughs> Somehow they say, oh, some singer, he was good, but he's not good anymore. They kind of stereotype the whole thing. They forget your, uh, you know, the body of work you have done in the past. So I'm very, very careful uh, picking songs that I like, but not personally like the song that is working for him. Maybe tomorrow a rapper comes to me 
and I don't dig the song, but I like the message and I see a winning point in there because mm. it's a unique thing, but it's going to work for him to my knowledge, obviously to my taste. And then I'm going to work. Yes. I'm refusing songs that, uh, whether even I like it or not, it's not going to work for that particular uh, collaboration we're doing. I really want to get into your story, but there's, there's something too rich here to for me to let go by. When you say you don't do things for money, um, which I think anybody listening to this would appreciate uh, and speaks to your artistry. Uh, at the same time, I wonder how <laughs> if, if the if the if the if the baron is called Rook, I can't be too hejalati about asking questions mm -hmm. like this. How, how, how much how, how how much money do you make? In other words, one of the most heartbreaking interviews I've ever done, also one of my favorite ones because I love the guy, but was with Farid Zoland, where we speak for two hours about how this iconic guy, who I'm sure you know very well and has written, you know, hundreds of, literally written hundreds of songs that most Iranians could sing back to, sing back to you, and is living modestly and makes no money and has, sees no share of all of that that he's done because of the, the, desperate and dire situation around um, lack of um, respect and and, and um, funding through royalties and publishing, et cetera, for Persian music back in the day and in Iran currently. What's the situation like for a producer, arranger like you? Like if you're one of the biggest names in Persian pop and, and uh, contemporary music, do you do really well? I can't say really well, but the reason... Uh, I try to, again, keep the balance in being involved in music and doing what I love. I do a lot of uh, local performances with the LA band that I have, which are weddings, which many, many artists see this uh, lower degree of performance. I don't know why, but again, I got to say that they they think if it's not a concert, it's not a performance. Mm. If it's a wedding, oh, to Arusim is any wedding is an I proudly perform weddings every weekend, proudly, because so I'm there's still no performing. element of I'm the guy who, you know, had the Black Cats hits and Ebby and Gugush and I I don't do weddings. There's nothing uh, to. to... That, that's where that's where the ego would come in. That's where the ego would come in, even for the wedding band that I have now called Rouge. This band has done shows that was bigger than concerts we did with Abby. As far as the production cost, lighting stage, I mean, I have done shows all the way in Monaco, in Italy, in Vegas. We did shows for uh, the owner of SLS hotels in uh, uh, Las Vegas. The first night was Gypsy King. The second night was Rouge. That's that's a good number for me to mention and be proud of. So it's not a wedding of just, uh, oh, what do you want, Dimbali Dimbul? Okay, let's do it. It's a show. It's a show of five singers and one MC, which I have Hebrew songs, English singer. My English singer became number four at the voice show in Europe. So Latin singer, Persian male and female singers. We keep the... Persian music and I make my uh, I weekly income from the performance of local bands. Then I do a lot of obviously songwritings, a lot of arrangements. I make uh, some money from renting out my recording studio if people need it. And then I produce new artists. I bring new artists hoping that the effort that I put in new songs, I'm going to help him or her become a new act and then somebody's going to book this act which is happening and it happened uh, so i go make money on the road with this particular singer i created so i create stars which is a form of income in the future and i try to make the balance but it is very hard before my wife becoming an attorney i was also uh, struggling because it was very you know uh, edge to edge <laughs> خنوکندم که نشینی در ایوان من و تو به دو نقشو به دو صورت به یکی جان من و تو 
داد باغ و دم مرغان بدهد آب حیات آن زمانی که در رایی به بستان من But can I just say, that's systemic when it comes to Persian arts, because, frankly, it's outrageous that Schubert Avakian could should ever be struggling based on what you've done for... And I'm not just saying this to be a... To, you know, I mean, it, it pains me how badly... Um, how the infrastructure in, in terms of the way Persian arts and culture is supported, respected, um, and, and elevated by uh, the Persian community in Iran and, and around the world, which is not very well. It's badly, you know, badly dealt with. Uh, that somebody like you, who is at the top of, you know, of, of your game and of the game, should, be, um, should have to struggle. That's, that's something that I always feel like we have to change. Even with Rook Media, I always face this where it's like, I get the pat on the head, this is great, and we have the audience, but in terms of actually supporting, you know, Iranians don't think of this the same way as they would think of supporting a real estate deal or, um, you know, some kind of uh, uh, engineering project, you know, and, and that's, the, that's a, a different discussion, but that's the state of how the arts are seen in our community. I'm guessing you agree with that, right? Hundred percent, and uh, in the same direction, uh, me, Human uh, Takov, you mentioned, uh, Babak Amini, and Kaveh uh, Yagmoi. I forgot his first name. Kaveh Yagmoi. We also talked about this, like uh, remotely. We talked about it, but we are kind of planning to be more serious about maybe starting any kind of a sandy type of a thing any union that is possibly uh, going to be active soon to invite whether uh, capitalists people who can you know help donate some capital for the music industry uh, or even doctors dentists if you're a dentist and you can see uh, one free patient from art industry from music industry in in this case uh give us that time give mm -hmm. us that once a week or once a month at least one person knows that you know he can go uh, and get the service for free because we don't have any of this and we have right. many many uh, successful iranians i always say this in any interview uh, and i encourage them to uh, by going to concerts you're not supporting your artist if i go to a movie Al Pacino acted I'm not supporting Al Pacino I'm enjoying myself right. so I'm buying a ticket to enjoy to have a good time at that night you so, might be supporting the promoter of the concert but not necessarily exactly. the artist <laughs> exactly so stop thinking that you're supporting and you you're downloading free music of an artist yeah. you're not paying any extra penny towards whatever uh, cost for the music video song lyrics all the live musicians studio time and everything so that artist keeps investing money, investing money, investing money to keep himself or herself current. So you can support that instead of giving tax to the country that you live in or in the US to Uncle Sam, for example, why don't you use this money and then report it in your accounting right. as a cost of for advertisement for your business. It's right. very simple, it's right. two times two, but I always encourage them, I hope they hear us talking again again about this and honestly thank you for even bringing it up because that has been everybody's i remember i don't know if i should say this but it's rock uh i remember susan marhum susan when she passed away shohre singer was the starter of this whole uh, fundraising she called me she called every singer possible to collect whatever money we can just for the cemetery for buying the grave and the coffin and everything so it's it's embarrassing yeah it's really painful for somebody like susan and yes i agree with you 100 percent and always Zoland and 
what situation is going to happen to me in future god knows and, and, and by the way i mean it's not this is not the, the the problem is you can't say it if you say uh hey schubert should be getting royalties i should be making more money it sounds like self-serving so others so i do need to say it and others need to say it for a rook and, and whatever but uh the reality is because i've worked in the non-Iranian music industry for a long time as a manager, as an artist, as a producer, as what the reality is somebody at your level in the non-Iranian, in the, in the English, let's say uh, music industry. And I, I don't know what the metaphor is puff, puff daddy, or like who pick what, <laughs> pick whatever prominent producer there is, 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 a is a multi, 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 multi-millionaire. I mean, Farid Zolan, you know, if you write three, two or three Celine Dion hits, you're, uh, you're made for life, you know? Yes. And this is a, you know, these guys, people like you and, and, and him are, um, uh, I mean, it, it is, it is I, I'm pretty sure most Iranians don't know how the injustice is being done. But let me, let me park that because that is a, a whole conversation we, we, we can and should continue to have. It, yes. It's interesting when you talk about your, your openness to playing weddings because part of me also thinks you must love performing and when i saw you performing with 25 band i was like oh schubert like i know he co-wrote and reproduced and so he's but he's coming and playing on stage and part of what i liked about that i say this honestly is you're keeping yourself in the game this this might be part of how you're keeping your tentacles your antenna um alive as to as to what's happening as a producer i always trust i'm a big soccer fan you know football and i always trust um soccer man football managers like my manager of arsenal you know when i see him out on the field still because I, okay this guy's still in the game he still know what it's like it's like to be as a, a player he can't play anymore at the top level but he um so is that is that part of it for you that you're as a performer it continues to give your you insights too as a producer arranger composer 100 percent. the energy that i get on stage uh many singers and i'm sure you've interviewed that they told you the same thing it's the most most natural high that you can get on stage when people cheer and with when you see you're moving a crowd with a song whether it's your composition that's even better really <laughs> Even even the performance, when you perform, even with a part of melody that I play and I see their bodies moving with my melody, it's, it, it feels like I have a remote control in my hand and I'm controlling their emotion. You know what I mean? It's like it's a huge, huge uh, natural high that we get. So, yes, the energy is part of it. Yes, the passion for live performance keeps me young emotionally and uh, obviously active. But being current is the reason that is happening no singer is gonna just pay me because i had some hits or right. i had many right. Right. Uh, good names on my uh, you know body of work they just spend the money because i again serve the purpose i give them the assurance when i'm on stage everything is going to be safe and i'm going to back you up i make sure the rehearsals are done whether it's a new hired musician or not I'm sharing all this because I want the other producers to know that it's not only Khoshansi or he's lucky. He's no, the work, the amount of hours I put is crazy. It's mm. crazy. Every minute in my life counts, and I'm never happy just sitting and watching uh, just normal TV or surfing on Instagram, yeah. watching random pictures. If I'm on Instagram, I'm following people I love and learn from. If I'm on YouTube, I'm taking classes online and learning more. So these things keeps me current with the technology that is in the electronic music today, with my sounds and libraries that I use for arrangements and uh, recording, with my equipment I buy for the studio. All these things are, are factors that keeps me active and busy, not only uh, because of my background. I, you'll have to excuse my exuberance because I've got to, I've I've been looking looking forward to this. So I have so many questions. I'll try and truncate them to keep it within the next fifteen minutes. I, sure. I, I but I do want to go through a little bit of your story because the story is that you're enrolled in music classes in Iran when you're six years old. You're born in the late '60s, so through the early '70s. This this 
I don't even need to ask you. I mean, you, this is a calling for you. You clearly, um, you know, uh, are have this talent. Uh, uh, I know your mom wants you to be a doctor, but your dad kind of relents after a while and goes, no, the kid's talented, let him, let him go. What I wanted to ask you, I mean, I would tell you to tease out that story, but, but to, to, to get to a point that I wanted to ask you about, you're a kid growing up in the 70s in Iran, which many people would, I think, credibly make the case that, at least inside Iran, obviously, is the most fertile and successful period of for music, you know, and pop music, et cetera, before everything gets shut down with an iron gate uh, in the yeah. in the 1980s with the coming of the Islamic Republic and the revolution. Are you on some level fortunate that you weren't born a few years later? In other words, if you'd been born after the 79 revolution and into the first years of the Islamic Republic, you probably wouldn't have had the same opportunities to explore music at a young age. I couldn't agree with you more. And that's why I'm grateful every day for being fortunate. And I'm always talking about it with my friend that how fortunate my generation has been uh, yes, including what you gave as an example for music, uh, even my generation seeing part of the good Iran that everybody's dreaming to bring back again, part of it, and also being in a in an era that the new technology came in. So we saw rotary phones and we saw cell phones. We saw no internet life playing to plasticky on the street. And right now we have the internet and all these games. So yes, I'm fortunate of seeing both worlds. And definitely in, in, in my childhood, I remember everything like yesterday. As a matter of fact, my far memory works a lot better than, uh, you know, close memory. Valley, the whole good days of my childhood, like I said, it was a dream that sometimes I don't even believe. وقتی تو نیستی گم میشافته خاکستر میشه حریر محتاب از رفتنت من پر میشم از شب شب دلهوره شب استراب وقتی تو نیستی دنیا شب میشه شب از دل من شب تو همیشه بی تو هر نفس تکرار ترس لحظه لحظه نیست نبز تشویشه this might be a strange thing to say, but I think if you were born in 1978 rather than 1968, you may not have thought as a six-year-old and, and after that music could be a career for you growing up 100%. in Iran because it wouldn't be, it wasn't even allowed. And you're Armenian to, to boot, right? Yes, 100% agree. 100% agree. The kid that then ends up in Germany, the teenager, and there's the spontaneous, you go on stage with Vigan, I love the story, and you've told it elsewhere, and, you know, I, I, I can't believe the self-confidence you have to go on stage, and, you know, when they're, they're missing a keyboard player, so you end up on stage, you're, you're 18 years old. How does that kid, without experience in Germany, but with talent, how does he become the guy who's at the center of the L.A. scene in popular music only a decade later? I never knew this about myself, but as old as I get older, I'm learning that I'm pretty stubborn with what I want. I I never knew. Uh, I always read this. Uh, obviously, the cliche good lines that they always say: pursue your dreams, follow with what you believe in, and you're gonna get it uh, one day. And this and that. I have done this without even knowing or reading these quotes or <laughs> anything like that. But I do know that I always dreamt about being uh, on stage, not never as a singer, never as a singer behind the mic, never as an actor in, in front of a camera, but always as a musician. I don't know how, but I always mm -hmm. knew this. So by 
at that at that time that uh, Vigen was in Frankfurt and somebody one of the bass players called me saying you know we're missing a keyboard player can you make it I I was super excited but I was never confident I didn't have that confidence you just mentioned so I was super scared I was scared even in the train going there <laughs> I was singing all the songs thinking at that time we had the Walkman with a cassette so I was listening to all the songs but just because of being Armenian and my mom and dad being a vegan fan, because this music was always in my background. Another another topic, parenthesis, Bosmikona, uh, because uh, it's very interesting to me. I never, Gion, never ever in my life, I practice to learn a song. That's very weird for me. If I listen to a song, if I if my memory allows to wow. follow a melody, to me, that means I'm playing that melody. Wow. If I cannot play it in my head, I cannot play it. I got to figure it out how it goes, how the, how the jump is or how fast the run is. Not every song. If I listen to classical, I can't perform like that. Right. But I'm talking pop music, what right. I do. Right. If I listen to a Moin song I like in the car, it's as good as practice. Tomorrow night, I can do a concert and play that song exactly like the album. That's one, one uh, talent that I know I have. So this also gave me the courage. Oh, it's the same Mahtab, Gulesor. I always played this as, as a kid. I'm just going to play it in front of 2,000 people. <laughs> I don't know. But yes, I was scared. And as you know, when he walked in for the sound check, he, he got actually, he got offended when the promoter <laughs> said, this is a kid. I said, what are you talking about? Who is he? You know, he's a, he's a kid. Right, right. And as as, yeah, as soon as the guitar player said, Vigen John, let's do a couple of songs and see how he is. I checked it out, checked, and he's he's pretty good. So when we started playing these songs, all he had to say, he said, please don't shave. I had very little beard. He said, don't shave because it's going to look, look ridiculous. You look too stuff. young. You look too young. Yeah. But, but this is why I call you the Persian Zelig of music, because you end up in all these situations that are quite extraordinary. I mean, one of your first breakthroughs, speaking of when you come to LA and you you become the center of the scene in terms of pop music, one of your first major breakthroughs is is the hit song called Qasr Qaghazi uh, that you write and you end up giving to Andy. And that yeah. story's fucked up too, which is like you, you're <laughs> sitting with Andy and you tell him you have some song and then he ends up recording it. I mean, how, yeah. you know, it's very, tell that story if you can briefly. Yeah. It's a lyrics from Paxima, uh, Paxima Zakipur, and I always loved that lyrics. It took me maybe fifteen minutes. I'm not gonna lie, fifteen minutes start uh, starting to hum a new melody on top of these lyrics, and it kind of matched. I never have done any songwriting or anything like that, but I always wished to be one a good songwriter. So I started with these lyrics, and then when I uh, completed it, I go, I'm gonna use a sequencer with a basic drumming at that time there was no computer it was a sequencer the sequencer would give you eight tracks and you could record uh, drums and some piano and this and that so i played two or three tracks just as an accompaniment and then i started humming this melody so this melody became obviously a part of me you know i was so proud i kept singing here and there in for myself you know this is how the song goes when we went to canada coming back me and andy are sitting next to each other on one uh, uh, plane. Randomly? And, Why are you sitting next to Andy? Uh, we had a show. Okay. I, I think yeah. it was Leila, Andy, uh, Romeshi, if I'm not mistaken, it was a Toronto show. Okay. And on the on the way back, Andy's seat and my seat were next to each other, just, just accidentally. And we started talking. So what do you do? How long have you been playing keyboard with Leila, this and that? We started getting to know each other. I go, Andy, I wrote a song. He said, oh, wow. Okay, sing me the song. What is it? I go, right here? He goes, yeah, sing it to my ears right there. I go, there's no instrument. Goes, Just sing it to me. I, I want to hear the top line. I started singing, and I mentioned that is your favorite lyricist who wrote the lyrics because he works with Paxi Mojan a lot. So uh, I started singing Kastor Kohazi, and sure enough, he said, I'll take this song. I go, are you serious? You're going to sing this song? He said, yeah, I'll take it. That was my start. می خوام اینو بدونی دل من مرده دیگه توی سینه زدنو از یادش برده دیگه دیگه اون روز 
It's an amazing story, and it and it was your start, and you 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 certainly blossomed from there. I have to say, there's something I've been looking forward to asking you about, which is that. You know, as a kid, I've got to be honest with you, in the 80s and then in university in the 90s, you remember I grew up outside of Iran. And so I didn't always love what came to be known as the L.A. sound with the 6-8 rhythm. It could sound trite to me. I was into alternative rock music and Western music. It sounded superficial on some level. One of the things I've been educated about in recent years by Iranians who were there at the time and is that part of that sound they say, came from a yearning after the revolution for Iranians in the diaspora to not simply be wallowing in sad ballads and crying songs, but to be doing something upbeat. Can you can you speak to that? In what sense do you want me to talk about it? Like, Well, first of all, what's your reaction to me saying it didn't I didn't get it? I mean, as a Western, as a kid growing up in the West, I was like, what is this 6-8 thing? And, yeah, and, and I didn't understand why Iranians were so into it. And now I kind of understand it a little better. Um, yeah. And I wanted to know what your reaction to that would be. Well, obviously, the background uh, helps a lot. You didn't have that background. We did have that background. So in uh, even in the radio, listening to uh, 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 even a namaz, that is uh, coming up, that is already Arabic scale and the Persian scale. So we are kind of familiar with the dictionary of notes that right. is already in our DNA. So uh, that is already part number one where I think you didn't connect or even my wife is born in Iran and she didn't connect in the beginning. She's half German, half Iranian. Yes. So she was born in Iran, but raised in the US. So, uh, that crying part of the Middle Eastern, I would say the snake music, like uh, Persian scale, that is already something unfamiliar to. No, but uh, that that part of it, I mean, the Dariush stuff from the 70s always spoke to me because it's very moving. And it's a what I didn't get was the up the upbeat, upbeat. L.A. sound stuff. That was the stuff I didn't get. I was like, what? Why is all, why is it all sound like this? What are they doing? Right. And it's because of the meter, Gianja. It's the meter of the if the meter of the song is six eight or for example seven four Greek music type of a thing, sometimes it becomes very odd for us to for people who are not grown in that culture right. uh, to connect with because the meter is not something that I groove with. Uh, the meter of six eight is very oddly different than 4-4 four, four and 2-4. That's why Arabic music is more welcome or Indian music is a little bit more welcome to Western. You saw how Alabina worked yes. right away because 2-4 and 4-4, four, four, even mathematically, they touch the emission. So it's, yes. a, it's, it's, a, it's the kick pattern and how you move your body with 2-4 and 4-4, four, four, they're relatively the same. Reggaeton, a lot of dance, uh, 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 Spanish music or Latin music is again two four. Yeah, yep. hip hop is four four. So all these two four four fours are suddenly when you change it to six eight, you gotta be kind of familiar or have a history of this meter to understand to digest it. Whatever we don't understand as human, we kind of not like until we start liking it and knowing more about it, and then we connect. میام دورت بگردم میگی گشتن نداره تو میدونی چه کردی که این دل بیقراره سرم با دلبری هات چقدر بلا آوردی دل من که نمیرم به زور اومدی بردی یه دل Man, I could talk to you, uh, you know, when I've met you in person, I, I, I have uh, 
felt this about you. You're somebody I could talk to for hours. We didn't even get into to politics, the Middle East, Iran, any of that. But um, but let me, and I hope we can continue this again before too long, but let me end by asking you this. I mean, when I think about the the eras of the Schubert career so far, you're still a young man, there's so much more to do, but, and I think about the, the obviously pivotal time that you spent with the Black Cats, that, that era. And I think about working with someone like Gugush, and I think about your ongoing um, work with Sepide. Uh, who would you say um, you've learned the most from in your journeys with all of these different artists, and what is it that you learned from them? Very interesting question. This is why I like your show, man. It's like you have the most unique questions. Shahbale uh, Shapare, I would say, to be very honest with you. Shahbale Shapare was in the Black Cats era. Uh, not before Black Cats, I started uh, meeting Shahbale uh, Shapare when I was performing some uh, events together with uh, Leila Furar and Black Cats. At that time, Piruz was in Black Cats. And actually, for one show that I was with Farmers Osef in Toronto again, I have a lot of memories from Toronto. Yeah, you got to keep coming yeah. to Toronto, it seems. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, Farmers Osef and Black Cats, we did a show together in Toronto. And unfortunately, that was my last show with Farmers. We had our differences, and I'm not going to get into it. Uh, again, on the way back, I told Shahbal about what bothers me. And he said, if you ever considered leaving uh, Farmer's John, let me know. And I did. Next week, I called Shabal, we met, and we started doing other uh, local bands. And learning from Shabal is, is something that is so evident that I can't even forget. Learning everything from Shabal John. Learning how to believe in new artists, whether this artist might not be the Abbey I expected, but believing in something starting from zero, believing in uh, giving the new uh, perspective to whatever I'm used to it. In other words, leaving your comfort zone and doing other stuff is what Shahbal is great at. And I learned a lot from him. It's a great answer. That's a great answer. Yeah. And, and one that I suspect he would really love to hear. I hope he does. I, I, I thank you so much for your time. I, I look forward so much to seeing you uh, again, either on stage or in person and, and hearing what you do as, as we all do. And, and thank you again for being on the program. Thank you, Jianjian. Thank you for giving me the opportunity for asking me to join this meeting. And thank you for doing a great job as uh, as a rook, Wagan rook, Barnomeke. I'm proud of. I. In the beginning, I was kind of 50-50 uh, uh, about saying yes to you. I go, maybe he's going to ask some questions to take me to a direction I don't want to go and all these things. Then watching your every uh, episode, I think I watched all of them, uh, on YouTube and following you. It's like, it's amazing how your, uh, your perspective, the point of view you have for improving what can be better for tomorrow of music, Persian music or even hosting a artist it's just fantastic you're I'm very proud kind you're very kind thank you so much. merci see you soon khodafis thank you khodafis Black Cats again with Majnoon. Thank you so much again to Schubert Avakian for this pre-Christmas interview. I really enjoyed that. This is full time for Rook for today. 
Remember, for all things Rook-related, our website is rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Super Patty Saw, Smart Pega, Savvy Roham, Talented Anihita, Methodical Kaveh, Bearded Omid. Thank you to all of you out there for supporting us and sharing our content. Do subscribe if you haven't done so already. Find me on Instagram at Giangomeshi. And as ever, Mizunbashi. Is it all